0: At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gives a command, and it's a uh, command for us to fulfill. It's a commission. In fact, it's called uh, normally the the Great Commission. And in these verses, uh, Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples and us by extension, what he wants us to do. This is our mission for the rest of our lives to do this for Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says that Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you might notice on the screen there are certain words that are highlighted uh, because there are four verbs in this passage. In fact, there's more than four, just four, but there's four that have to do with us. And the, these four verbs really, if you uh, understand it correctly, um, three of the verbs modify the fourth. And there's one main imperative, one command that Jesus gives us in this entire uh, grouping of three verses. And the command that he gives us is to make disciples. The other three verbs that modify it are when we go, when we baptize, and when we teach. And so making disciples is the whole process of how you and I help the people in our lives come to know Jesus or to know Him better. And so it, it's the entire process of us going and us baptizing and us teaching. And you might say, well, okay, that's nice, but what does that mean, you know, for me personally? Well, what it means for you and me is uh, it means that we ought to identify who are the people in our world that we can make disciples for Jesus. And uh, so that's been the... The point of this entire series, who are those people in your world? And you think about the people in your life, the people in your world, and, and you might say, well, maybe a spouse or, or kids or even grandkids, uh, maybe uh, co workers, friends, relatives, uh, fellow students. And the question for us is for the people in your world, do you want them to come to know God? And if they already know God, do you want them to know God better? And I hope that the answer to that question is yes. I hope that you're convinced of the, uh, the importance of knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if the answer is yes, then what Jesus is asking us to do is very simple. Help them follow Christ. Jesus would say, help them follow me. Now, when you think about the people in your world, every single one of them is either saved or they're lost. They either know Christ or they don't yet. It's one or the other. And you might have people in your world and, and you look at their lives and you say, well, I, I really don't know. I don't know if they're saved or lost. You know, Some of us might say, I don't know if I'm saved or lost. You know, I'm sort of... Struggling with that, I don't, I've got doubts, you know, but uh, but the people in your world, what do you do if you don't know whether someone's saved or, or lost? How do you help them follow Christ? Well, I would, the only advice I would give you is assume they're lost. You know, if you look at the fruit of the, that spiritual tree and you don't see any fruit there, you might assume that they're lost. They might not be. Uh, the Lord knows for certain, but if there's no fruit, you might just uh, go ahead and be safe to assume that... They're, for whatever reason, if we might term it some other way, they're far from God. And so, part one of this great commission, part one of making disciples, is to deal with the people in your world who do not yet know Jesus. What do we do with them? Well, Jesus tells us we go. That's part one. We go. Well, what does that mean? You know, what, are, what does that mean for me to, to go? How do I go? Well, think of farming. When you're dealing with the people in your world that don't know Christ, I would ask you to think of farming, and you might say, well, why farming? I'm not a farmer. Well, neither am I. I grew up in the city. Lubbock is the small city I ever grew up in. You know, we moved from Houston to Lubbock and to, then to Dallas-Fort Worth. And so I don't know the first thing about farming, other than I know farmers engage in a few activities. They engage in Plowing the ground and planting seed and bringing in the harvest. And the reason I would ask you to think of farming is because Jesus framed our relationship with people that don't know him in terms of farming. That was the analogy, the example that he used. And so here's what you do. There's going to be people in your world who are hard-hearted toward God. The, The ground of their heart is hard toward God they're sort of cold toward God. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And, and to be fair, you know, it's hard for us to help someone follow Jesus when they would want nothing to do with Jesus, isn't it? Right? I mean, you can't force Jesus down someone's throat, you know. Just uh, that, that doesn't work. So what do you do to help change their heart? Well, you can't change their heart. You can't change anyone else's heart. God can. And so we pray. We pray intently for them and we always continue to love. We know that love can change our heart, and so we love people who are hard toward God. So that's what you do. You plow the hard ground of their heart. What if what if there are people in your heart in, in your life that they they're starting to ask questions? They've got questions about Jesus or about the Bible or just about life in general. What do you do with them? You take God's word and you plant the seed of God's word in their hearts. And then you'll find some people from on occasion who are in your world and they're ready to follow Jesus. They say things like, "I'm ready to follow Jesus." Or they 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 say more vague things like, "I don't know what it is you got, but I want it. You know, I, I you seem to have this this peace that I don't have. You you have the, this this understanding that I don't have. You seem to know God. Or people say things like, Hey, can you pray for me? Uh, you got a good connection with God. And so they see that about you, and there's something desirable about you that they want. And it's Christ in us. We know that. When someone's heart is willing to receive Christ, or you think they're about there, that's time for the harvest. And so you bring in the harvest. How do you do that? By bringing Christ to them. And let Christ do the work. He will do the work, but you simply present Christ to them. And so all of those people that we're talking about, where you're, you're plowing the hard ground, you're planting God's word, you're bringing Christ to them and hopefully bringing in the harvest, all of those people have a common condition. They're lost. They don't know Christ yet. But there are people in our lives who are believers, aren't there? And so, what do we do with them? Especially, what do we do with people who are new in the faith? They come to faith in Christ. Perhaps they saw Christ in us and they eventually came to faith in Christ. What do we do with these people that have recently been saved? That's part two of making disciples. And that's, in the verse that we just read, that's the baptizing and the teaching. But the analogy that the New Testament uses changes from farming. Farming has to deal with lost people. With saved people, how we help them follow Christ even better. The analogy is parenting. And so we're going to look at a few passages today, starting in First Thessalonians chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible there. I want you to think of parenting when you're talking about helping the people that have come to faith in Christ, helping them know Christ better. And so that's the subject of today's sermon. Now, I'm going to ask a question. What, what do you think new Christians need, new believers in Christ, whether they're young, old, whatever they are, as far as their age, whether they're male or female? When someone comes to faith in Christ, what is it they need? Well, one thing I think that we can agree on that they need is they need a church, right? I mean, we, we need each other. And a, a church provides more than just, you know, someone singing for a while and someone talking for a while. That's Church is a lot more than that. Church provides friendships, the kind of friendships that bring you closer to God instead of farther away from God. We all probably have those friends or had those friends in our lives that uh, they were good influences to us. And they would draw us away from God. Uh, but there, in the church, hopefully, we'll find people that are good friends who will help us and spur us along as we journey together in our walk with Christ. And so we have good spiritual Christian fellowship. We have friendship there in church. Church provides us instruction like you're receiving now. Church provides us an opportunity, a way to worship God and draw closer to Him and praise Him. And church provides for us a a term that we like to use around here an awful lot, a big spiritual family. You get a family when you're part of a church. Now, I want you to imagine something. Imagine when you were a child, if you were part of a big old family. I mean, you had brothers and sisters, and you had aunts and uncles, and you had cousins. Some of y'all, that was your experience, you know. And so you had a great big old family, but you didn't have a mom or dad. How weird would that be? If you had this big old family and everybody sort of loved you. But you didn't have a mom or dad. That's the experience of a lot of Christians when they come to faith in Christ. And they join a church. And all of a sudden they got a big old spiritual family. But they don't have a mom or dad. Now it's true that God is our father when we come to faith in Christ. But you see, there's another truth I want you to understand. That God the Father, in His wisdom, has a role that He wants us to fulfill. It's a fatherly role or a motherly role toward younger believers in the faith. Now, regardless of age, I'm not talking about necessarily young age, but I'm talking about people that are new to the Christian faith. You see, I believe that when a person gets saved, they not only need a church, absolutely they need a church, but they also need a spiritual parent. A spiritual parent who will do a certain number of things, three things in particular. A spiritual parent will provide nurture to the new believer. And so in that passage that you read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, over in verse 7. Here's what we read. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In this way, having fond affection for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also. Our own lives, because you had become beloved to us. Do you see what a, a good mother provides? Tender care. She provides the sacrifice of her own life, and she provides love. Let's talk about that for a minute. New believers don't just need a big family. But I believe they need a one-on-one parent who can provide this type of nurturing care that a mother provides. A mother provides, as we read in this verse, tender affection. Now, if you've ever been around a baby, and we all love being around babies, most of the time. (laughs) Every once in a while, babies can become, we'll just say, messy. Sometimes, literally, messy. Babies get messy, right? It comes with the baby. It's going to be a mess. And what do you do when a baby makes a mess? You clean up the baby. What do you not do? You don't get mad at the baby. I mean, anyone who gets mad at a baby for being a baby, the problem's not with the baby. The problem's with you. Okay, A baby's going to be a baby. A baby's going to be messy. Guess what? New believers in Jesus Christ, they get messy. They just do. And that's okay. It's okay, church, for new believers to get messy. New believers are going to do things wrong do things that you think, oh, they shouldn't do that. That's okay. As a church, we need to be willing to allow some messiness to occur. I'm not talking about taking a, t- being light on sin. I'm not talking about allowing unholiness to go on. But I'm talking about some things that go on that you might think Maybe it ought, it ought not be that way. That offends my sensibilities. As a long-time Christian of 60 years, I, I don't want anyone to ever offend my sensibilities. Hey, babies get messy. Okay? Someone may walk in someday with a hat, a gentleman with a hat on his head, and not take it off. I'm old school. You don't do that. Not in church. Right, Jonathan? He's got his hat on right now. Someone might do that. It's okay. It's okay. All right? So let's let's be okay if people mess up. New believers might not talk right. I might say cuss words. It's okay. New believers might not dress right. Oh, I can't believe they came to church looking like that. Hey, they're in church. Let's be okay. All right? Let's be okay with that. People are going to do things wrong. Now, what we don't need to do is act like we're the Holy Spirit and dog them every time they do something wrong. That's like getting mad at a baby. No, guess what? The Holy Spirit is incredibly good at doing His job. The Holy Spirit does a really, really good job of convicting Christians of their sin. I know. I've sinned a whole bunch. And when I sin, the Holy Spirit is right there. Shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. I don't get away with it for long, not without the Holy Spirit pricking my heart, convicting me of sin. Okay? And if the same Holy Spirit is in you that is in this new believer, the Holy Spirit will sanctify them over time. Okay? So let's just be careful not to get mad at a baby for being a baby. You hear what I'm saying? A nursing mother tenderly cares for the newborn. A nursing mother gives a sacrificial investment of herself. She gives of her own life, as Paul says. Now, those of us men in the room who don't know what it's like to be a mother, we don't know this, not by experience, not like you ladies do. A mother will sacrifice of herself from the very moment that she conceives, she is giving of herself, giving life of herself. And even as that child is born and grows, she continues to make a sacrificial investment of herself into her child. To be a spiritual parent is an investment of yourself. There is a price to pay. But, like a good mom will tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it to see that child grow and become A wonderful young adult. A nursing mother also provides love. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, uh, you you were beloved to us. We loved you. I mean, it is in the nature of a mother to love. And that's what new Christians need most. They need love. You know, if you have love, you can do anything. If someone loves you, you can do anything. I'm going to date myself here, but did you ever see the movie Rocky II? I, it's, I think it was Rocky II. Might have been Rocky Seventeen. I don't know. There's a lot of them. I think it was Rocky II. And in Rocky II, Rocky Balboa. If you don't know the movie, um, he's a he's a professional boxer. But his wife, Adrian, goes into a coma, and so. He's heartbroken. He can't train for the upcoming bout for the world championship, his rematch against Apollo Creed. He can't train because his heart's with his wife, and his wife is in a coma. And so his, his manager, Mickey, comes along, and, says, and, and Mickey said, Rocky, Rocky, they're going to mortalize you. Come on, Rocky. They're going to kill you to death. Come on, Rocky. We gotta train. We gotta train, Rocky. And Rocky's—he's just sitting there saying, "Oh, but, but Adrian, eh? I'm heart with Adrian. I just can't—I I can't do anything. I can't train. My heart's with Adrian." <laughs> and so, the manager gives up, and and Mickey says, "All right, Rocky. You want to pray? I'll pray with you.
1: You want to sit?
0: I'll sit with you. You don't want to fight." I, I won't ask you to fight no more. And Rocky and, and his manager go up to the room, and, and she wakes up. And Rocky says, you Adrian, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything you want me to do. You want me to, I won't box no more. You don't want me to box no more, I won't box no more. You tell me, what do you want me to do? And she says, When? Win, Rocky. Win. Man, that's all Rocky needs. He's out the door. He's chasing chickens. He's doing one-arm push-ups. He's doing a thousand sit-ups. People are pounding on his stomach. And, of course, I hate to break the news to you, but he wins. (laughs) Now, if you haven't seen the movie yet, it's been like 35 years. That's not on me. That's on you, okay? what was it that inspired them? It was the love. The love when someone you love says, I believe in you. Man, you can do anything. You can run through a brick wall, right? New believers, more than anything else, they need love. They need that someone that they trust and they understand and that that person who says, I believe in you then they can do it. They can keep going in their journey with Christ. A second thing besides nurture that we are to provide as parents is that we are to be models of the Christian life. In this same passage, just a few verses later, look at what Paul writes. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and righteously and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and bearing witness to each one of you as a father would his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Look at what a father does in these verses. Some of you dads in here, you want to be good dads. You want to be good granddads. Pay attention to these verses. This is what a good father does. A good father, first of all, models good behavior. You know, boys tend to follow the example of their father. They see you go to church, they'll go to church, even when they're grown. They see see you pray, they'll pray. They see you read your Bible, they'll read their Bible. And girls, by the way, tend to look for someone who is like their father. And so let me ask you, gentlemen, are you living like the kind of man that you want your daughter to be married to one day? If the answer to that is no, then become that kind of man. Your daughter's watching. Your boys are watching. Be that kind of man. Now, I'm, t- I'm talking about spiritual parenting here. Spiritual parenting. When you're a spiritual parent, you're going to want to model Christ-like behavior to the younger Christian. And the other thing that a spiritual parent will do, like a father does, something... That a good father does. He not only models good behavior, but he's there to give verbal exhortation. He exhorts. You know, sometimes the person that you're, you're trying to lead, sometimes they need instruction, but sometimes they need encouragement. Did y'all see the, the big game last, last week? Did y'all see this play at the end of the big game? Joseph Asai, player for the Cincinnati Bengals. There's less than 10 seconds left in the game. And he's trying to make a play because the winner of the game goes to the Super Bowl. And Joseph Asai hit Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. And that gave them a 15-yard penalty, and the Chiefs kicked the field goal and went on. And Joseph Asai was heartbroken because he felt like he cost his team a chance to go to the Super Bowl. After the game, you know what Joseph Asai did not need He did not need instruction. He did not need someone saying, hey, guess what? Don't do that. He already knew. He knew he blew it. What he needed was not instruction, but encouragement. Now, a good dad knows when to provide his kids with instruction. Instruction means you don't know what to do. You provide instruction. And when to provide your kids with encouragement, exhortation. Sometimes a proverbial kick in the pants. Sometimes you provide one, sometimes you provide the other. Your kids spiritually need encouragement. And a spiritual parent will provide encouragement to that younger believer growing in the faith. The third thing that a spiritual parent provides, not just nurture, not just modeling Christ-like behavior, but teaching. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, we have a great passage here. And again, it's in the terms of, uh, of a child growing up. Look what the author of Hebrews says. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. You know, when someone comes to faith in Christ, They're a new believer. One of the things they need, they need an individual that they can come to for advice or questions. They need someone to feed them. Hey, what do I do in this situation? Hey, I I yelled at my wife the other day. What do I do? Hey, I, I, I didn't do this right. Hey, is it okay if I do this over here? They need someone to feed them the milk of God's Word. They need a parent who can do that privately. Because there are questions that a new believer has that he or she's not going to ask in Sunday school. But they might ask someone who's a spiritual parent to them privately. They're embarrassing questions. There are things like, hey, is it okay if I, you know, I, if I you know, sleep around? They don't know. They weren't raised in a Christian world. They may not want to ask that question of their Sunday school class, but they might want to call someone and talk to them privately. But it'd have to be someone they trust, someone who acts like a spiritual parent to them. Years ago, I was uh, pastoring a church in Cincinnati, and there was a young couple that had uh, come to faith in Christ, and they were trying to make it. In fact, when I first met them, they came in off the street. They saw on the church sign that I was preaching a sermon series on marriage. And they came in off the street, and they said, uh, we're, we're about to uh, get a divorce. I said, how long have you all been married? They said, six months. I thought, okay, we got, we got a tough one here. So we talked a little bit, and I asked them about their relationship with God. And they both came to a relationship with God, and so they were new in the faith. But there, things were messy. Things were messy. And so I got a call one time at, at 10 p.m. And I saw on the caller ID who it was, and I thought, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. And it was, and it was the, uh, the lady. And she called, and she said, Pastor David, I'm so mad at my husband. I said, what happened? She said, well, we're watching a movie, and the actress in the movie, she starts taking off her clothes, and he gets all excited about it and i said let me talk to your husband so she puts him on the line i said hey man your, your wife's really mad she's mad enough to call the pastor at 10 p.m about this movie y'all are watching i said you know i got some advice maybe don't watch those kind of movies and he said she picked it out i said put her back on the phone I said, you can't do that to your husband. You can't, you can't do, you, you know, guys are attracted to visuals, you know. You just can't do that. And so she didn't know. They didn't know. Things were sort of messy there for a while, causing strife in the family, you know. But they felt like they could call someone that they looked up to. And that's what we need to be, each of us, to the people in our lives that are younger in the faith, that need someone that they can talk to. The goal is to get a new believer to the point where they begin to feed themselves God's word. You take an infant, and an infant's not going to make the make the milk, you go to the fridge and, and you know, all that stuff, and no, prepare the bottle. No, the infant's not gonna do that. But someone who's able to feed themselves will go to the fridge and get some meat. To eat. And they'll begin to feed themselves spiritually. And so when the Bible becomes meat to you, you can read the same passage that you've read before but get something new out of it. Because the Bible is meat. So the question is for us, how do you and I become spiritual parents? Okay, I've sort of set this idea out there, floated this idea out there, and and maybe you're thinking, okay, it sounds good, but what does this mean? Well, here's what I think it means. If there's somebody... That's already in your world that you could identify as a younger believer, maybe a new believer. What I would ask you to do is some of you have these uh, Who's in Your World cards, the big cards. There are some extras out in the lobby. On that card, I would invite you to put their name down as someone that you can pray for, someone that you can uh, uh, help parent. And they'll be on your mind, on your heart. Okay, and it says new baptized believers. Some of them haven't been baptized yet. But that's, that's something that they'll want to do. You'll want to encourage them in that. And during the invitation, here in just a minute, I'm going to invite you again to come up to the table. And at this table, there are four separate types of cards. Cards for plowing. That's praying for someone who's lost. Cards for planting God's seed in someone's life. That's someone that they're asking questions there's a card that's uh, uh, blue, has blue writing on it, and that's for sharing the gospel. That's someone that you're ready to, to tell them, introduce them to Jesus. And finally, the green card stands for parenting. You're helping that person to grow. And I would invite you to fill out one of these cards for the parenting. If, if you know somebody already in your life that you want to try to lead in that direction by nurturing them, by being a good model to them, by teaching them when it's appropriate. And so you fill out that card, put the slip in the jar because we're tracking that, and then we'd invite you to take an appropriate colored ping pong ball. Orange if you're praying, red for planting, uh, blue for harvesting, and green for parenting, and put their initials or their name on that ping pong ball and put it in the display so that we can have a visual and see the kinds of people that we are striving to make disciples of. So that's what I would ask you to do for the people in your world. There's another way that I would ask you to consider serving, and it's to become an encourager. And what do I mean by an encourager? Well, I'm looking for some people here in the church that would do this. When someone new comes to the church, and we we may not know them very well, Uh, We don't know where they are spiritually. I would like to be able to uh, pair them up with some of you. And it would be appropriate to be men with men, women with women. But I'd like to pair them up with some of you who might sign up to be an encourager. And all I would ask you to do is simply this. Exchange contact information with the person. And just check on them occasionally. See where they're at. And see how the Spirit of God might lead you to bless them. It might be that some of the people that come to our church and become part of our church are very strong in the faith, very, very much have followed Christ most of their lives. And that would, that would be great. They still need a friend. okay? Uh, but there might be times when we get someone who comes to faith in Christ and they don't know the first thing about the Christian life. They might need a spiritual parent. And so if you'd be interested in being an encourager, we would invite you to text the word BLESS to that number on the screen, 833-867-3562. By the way, that is, if you don't know, our text line. You can text the staff with anything in the world that you want to text us, a prayer request, uh, an issue where you need some help, uh, anything like that. You can text us at that number, and we would be glad to receive that.